Good morning. Thanks for joining again, as always. And uh, have Bible in hand. We're going to dive into the scripture today again. And uh, today, uh, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 17. Now, John chapter 17 is, um, is what is appropriately called the Lord's High Priestly Prayer. Typically, when we think of the Lord's Prayer, we think of the prayer that begins with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, you know, there's a passage there that, you know, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, Jesus can't pray that, really. That's not the Lord's Prayer, per se, but rather, um, along with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, that becomes something that's instructive for us. Um, however, John 17 is a prayer that Jesus himself prays to the Father. And he prays for a number of things along the way here, um, uh, presumably in the midst of his disciples, uh, as this uh, basically concludes the upper room discourse He, uh, from John 13 through 17, as he uh, ultimately will make his way to Gethsemane. Well, in the midst of this prayer here in John chapter 17, he prays for, again, many things, uh, unity among the body and all that thing, the, the testimony that those who hear the disciples would ultimately believe in such. And uh, in the course of his prayer, he says these words, and this is where I'd like to kind of park today for a little bit. Uh, in John chapter 17, starting in verse 16, I'll read verses 16 and 17, where Jesus says that they, speaking of the disciples, are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Uh, the idea that you and I, the disciples then, and in, John, uh, in verse 20, he then goes on to talk about how he's not just praying for the disciples, but all those who would believe from their testimony. Um, the disciples, you and I as believers today, the first thing I'll point out here is that Jesus says that we're not of the world, this world. We're not of this place ultimately. Now we were born here, we live here uh, as believers, knowing that we're one day going to go home. We work here right now. and um, But we're not really of it anymore. In other words, we have been set apart from it. Uh, we've been saved out of it. Uh, there's a passage in Revelation where God makes this call to his people to come out of her, out of Babylon, or out of this world system and that. The idea that there is a separation between us and the world in Christ now is a very real thing. Uh, Jesus says that, be, that in what he's going to accomplish ultimately, we no longer, as children of God, are really of this place. Paul would define it as us having a citizenship in heaven, which means we actually work here as ambassadors from another place, uh, namely that of God's kingdom, heaven's country, if you will. And we, uh, and we, we, we are representing that place. So there's, in a very real way, and that, that can be delved into in a lot, uh, in, in, uh, in some depth, but it's important for us to recognize that it is uh, something that Jesus prayed to the Father about, that we would understand, that we would know that we are not of this world even as Jesus himself is not of this world, to put that into that context. Jesus comes from heaven into the earth. Well, now as adopted sons and daughters and as ambassadors of Christ, we identify most fully now with our heavenly home, and we now are here in the, in the midst of that. Well, the idea of this separation uh, from the world in that way is something that he continues to speak to in the next verse when he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so... The word sanctify here uh, speaks of the idea of being set apart. Here in context, clearly, the, uh, the, the, the intent is that we would understand we'd be separated to God, uh, 
sanctify them, set them apart by the truth. Okay, we are set apart to the truth, by the truth, in the truth. And then Jesus goes on to explain that your word, the word of God, is truth. And so in telling us that we're separated, we're separated unto the truth, well, what is the truth? Pilate famously asked that question, right? What is truth? Well, you and I have the answer to this, and it's the word of God. And so I'd like to talk about the word of God a little bit today. Uh, this topic alone could go on for weeks and weeks and weeks um, in, in, in lots of different facets. But let me just talk about it somewhat devotionally, instructively, uh, with the intent that it would be meaningfully received personally. Um, the word is truth. Your word is truth, Jesus would say. Um, maybe a good place to start with this would be uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. And uh, why don't you turn there, where Paul is writing. And he's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor. He's in charge of uh, cultivating the faith of, of a body of believers. He's there to pour himself into believers that they would grow in their relationship with Christ. And Paul here, in, in uh, among, these are uh, getting to be almost now the very last words that we have from the Apostle Paul uh, in his letters, Second Timothy being the last of his letters. And, uh, and, and this being among the last things that Paul will share uh, before his own martyrdom. And so as he's writing to Timothy, as he's passing the torch, he's brought up Timothy as a protege. Timothy's traveled with him. Timothy is going to ultimately have this pastoral ministry in, in a city no less than Ephesus. Uh, and he goes on, now, Paul does here now, to give him some really, really important instruction. And it's probably worth noting that when you know that your time is drawing to a close, uh, the things that you choose to say take on a whole new level of, of, of importance. And so weigh that into understanding what Paul is saying here. He's not just simply giving instruction. He's giving last instruction in, in many respects. And so that said, notice what Paul says here in, in chapter 3, verse 16. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Theonoustos, Greek, God breathed. Literally, he is saying that the word of God has been breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, not just man of God, but the woman of God as well, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, so the word of God, Paul holds it on such high regard that he says that it is in fact God-breathed. It is not something that's the invention of men. Peter would say something very similar when he said that holy men of God uh, spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so this is not something that is of man's design or invention. It comes literally from God. And Paul says, therefore, it is profitable for the bringing up of believers in their faith, both through teaching and correction and all of these things. These are, these are, these are things we look to the word of God for that we might be mature or perfect. The idea is not that you be perfect and never make a mistake, but that you be mature and that you're thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, your faith and practice are rooted in the word of God, and so therefore we go to the word of God. Now this, by the way, is not a contemporary idea to the New Testament. This is something that has always been uh, a valued truth in scripture. As a matter of fact, uh, if you would, in the Old Testament, and now again, I'm always gonna put these references in the notes, but uh, if you wanna follow along with me, I'm gonna look for just a moment at Nehemiah chapter eight. Nehemiah going all the way back into the, the later part of the Old Testament. 
um, shows up earlier in your New Testament, but time-wise, it's toward uh, it's getting more closer to the end of the New, of the Old Testament. But uh, here, Nehemiah, along with Ezra, are involved in rebuilding the city and the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, and as Nehemiah um, is doing the physical work of it and is leading the people in that regard, Ezra, the priest, a contemporary of Nehemiah, is preparing the hearts of the people spiritually. And in chapter 8, uh, Ezra is reading the law, and he's going to read the law. It goes on to, to talk about those who were... Um, uh, his those who worked alongside of him to this effect. But in verse 8, he's, uh, we read these words, that they read, Ezra and those who were part of his ministry team, if you will, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly or distinctly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now, when it says they read from the law of God clearly or distinctly, what it means is, is that they read paragraph by paragraph that they read the word and they ultimately were intending to, and they gave the interpretation of it with the intent that people would understand it. And so they taught the word of God, paragraph by paragraph. Um, I think that you cannot overstate the importance of the ministry of the word of God in the church. The body of Christ, individual churches around the world, we have such a responsibility and a privilege, by the way, but such a responsibility to teach the Word of God. Um, you know, it's interesting that back in Amos's day, God threatened to bring Israel into a season with, where they would, uh, there would be a famine not for bread, but a famine for hearing the Word of the Lord. Uh, there would be a season where the prophets wouldn't speak. They wouldn't receive the Word from heaven. Uh, of course, an example of that is this quiet period after Malachi for 400 years until the time of Christ. Um, but but there was this this uh, sense of the value of the word of God, and because of their disobedience, God was saying He was going to stop speaking to them for a time. Well, in our day, there seems to be this running into this willing openness to set aside the word of God. When we have it in its completion, we can buy it in any bookstore around the country, around the world, almost, and you can you can find a copy of the scriptures. But yet, the body of Christ, by and large does not spend time approaching it, studying it, learning it, the way that Nehemiah, uh, or the way that Ezra did in the time of Nehemiah, where they taught essentially verse by verse. They took the Bible and, and taught, the, in their case, the Old Testament at that time. We now have the Old and New Testaments. And they taught from it thoroughly. They taught from it to make it clear so that people could understand it. Um, you know, there was a time in the Middle Ages when the Roman Catholic Church would do masses in Latin and everything. Uh, now, granted, in, in, in Italy, you'd speak Latin and that kind of a thing. But, um, but by and large, there wasn't a high level of education among most people. And you pretty much had to come to um, the church hierarchy to understand the scriptures and that. Well, as, as you know, there was, you know, if, if that responsibility had been taken seriously and the word of God was taught verse by verse throughout, that would have been a great thing. It wasn't, and it wasn't until the printing press came along under Gutenberg, where finally now the scriptures are out there for people to read in their own language. And so as they would read it, and they would come to understand it, this became a bane uh, in the side of those who wanted to maintain authority, but it became this life-giving uh, season where people now could, could read the word of God, and it could be read to them in their communities, and they could hear it. Um, in Josiah's time, back in the Old Testament, revival came about 
by virtue of them having found the, 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 the scrolls of the scripture uh, buried in the temple, just sort of buried in there, lost for some period of time until they were clearing out the temple and they came across it and they read it and they read it to Josiah and they read it to the people and a great revival broke out under Josiah's time as a result of it. Today, the church sets the word of God aside uh, for, for, for entertainment or, or because we want to tell stories or whatever the reason is. There's many reasons why. And it's a, it's a tragedy. It's a travesty, but it's also a tragedy that we would have the word of God and it not be taught to believers around the world day by day, if not week by week on Sundays at least. Um, but unfortunately, sadly, the word of God does not take its prominent place that it deserves in the center of church worship. Um, and, and that is a shame. And that is something that really needs to change. Um, you know, Jesus interestingly says, you know, before he returns will, or when he returns, will he find faith in the earth? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Paul would say. And when we don't have the word of God being taught, it is no wonder that um, not just the world, we expect the world to be what the world is. But when the church becomes less and less set apart as Jesus prayed, because there is no sense of understanding what God desires or what God uh, has said in his word, um, it, it shouldn't surprise us when we don't teach and that ends up being the result. And so um, you can't overstate the need of the word of God to be taught. And, and as, a quick, as a quick note for teachers as well, um, one of my favorite passages comes out of Ezra 7.10. Again, Ezra is a contemporary of Nehemiah. And uh, in Ezra 7.10, it speaks of Ezra, the priest, uh, as, as one who, uh, who uh, studied the word of God in order to do it. And then, well, let me actually say, he prepared his heart to study the word of the Lord and to do it and to teach its statutes in Israel. And so he took seriously the responsibility that he had to teach the word. And so he prepared his heart to do it. He then practiced it himself, and then he made sure he taught it to the, to the body of Israel as well. Well, I think that's a, a good, solid, simple rule. Couple that with Nehemiah 8.8, 8, where they read distinctly from the word in order to give the sense so people would understand it. Couple those two ideas together, and you have a pretty good pattern for pastoral ministry there when it comes to the ministry of the word. And so this becomes our responsibility in our churches to teach God's word. And, and I would suggest verse by verse through the entire thing. Um, uh, the, the whole word of God is the word of God. And so to, to not speak to all of it, to not teach all of it, I think is to rob our people of a deep understanding of, of the person, the nature, the character of God, uh, the will and works of God, um, all of these things. And so, um, but sadly, unfortunately, uh, that's not always the case, but we can all pray that that becomes the case and, uh, and, and such. And so, you know, and let me kind of bring it around here, by the way, too, because um, in, in a body that is in a, in a church globally, generally speaking, and of course, this is a general observation that I was just making. Uh, not every church is that way. And I'm not just speaking of, of, of ours. We teach the word verse by verse, but lots of churches do do that. But it's not the norm by and large in most churches. Uh, and, and, and much like a body starves without nourishment, the body of Christ starves uh, when it's not fed a proper balance of the word of God. Uh, again, not just, you know, not just my list of 25, 30 sermons, then move to another church, but rather to teach through the word of God and make sure people understand it. You won't fill churches with that oftentimes. You'll probably empty out churches, but you know, Jesus had a habit of 
preaching his congregations down to a manageable size from time to time as well. So don't be turned off by that, but rather just uh, gather around the solid teaching of the word. Um, and, and, and ultimately, here's why. Uh, matter of fact, this is a good place to, to turn to as well. Um, in John chapter 5, uh, verse 39, we're in John 17. If your thumb is still there, but turn to your left to John chapter 5. Um, an interesting problem when it came to the Pharisees and the religious leaders because they were students of the word. They could recite huge passages of it, uh, much in the tradition of Ezra and the priests and such. They would memorize huge swaths of scripture and they could quote it uh, you know, in ways that we would envy. You know, We should memorize scripture too. And if you can memorize entire books of the Bible, that's wonderful. My memory's not quite that good. Uh, but, but it's a great practice, and, and the Pharisees were good at that. Um, but they, for all of their study of the Scripture, they missed the point of it. It became a matter of rote religion, where they followed the rules and even uh, created rules on top of rules to make sure you didn't break the rules, uh, as it were. Um, but they missed the point of the Scripture. And Jesus uh, brings that to the fore here in, in, Ma- in uh, John chapter 5, and in particular in verse 39 as he is speaking of the witnesses of him, both through Moses and now through the scripture in that. Uh, He says here in verse 39, uh, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So he's standing just a couple of feet away from the Pharisees. And he says, you study the scriptures because you think that in them you, have, you find eternal life. You search them, you study them, you come to know them, you dig in because you think that that's where you find eternal life. Well, in one sense, there's truth to that because the scriptures point to the one who brings eternal life, but they missed that. They thought the law was the end to itself and obedience to it was the way to life. But Jesus said, you've missed the point if that's what you're doing because they speak of me. And now that I've come, you should recognize me. I, I all the time point to Paul, Paul's writing in Galatians chapter 3. This is exactly what, you, what Paul is talking about here. Uh, the scriptures were intended to lead us to the person of Christ in the, in the recognition of our inability to save ourselves. We would cry out for the one to save us. Well, Jesus here says, you're looking through the scriptures and you're thinking that's the end in itself. But it's not. They speak of me. Uh, one pastor put it this way, it's not just the manual, it's Emmanuel. Ultimately, that is the focus. And so we study the scriptures, not just to fill our heads with knowledge, not just so that we can argue the deep things of God with other people that like to argue these things, uh, or even just in, in a right way discuss them, but it's not the end in itself. If our study of scripture doesn't lead us to the person of Christ, then we've missed the point. And Jesus says so right here. And so one of the reasons it's so important for us to teach the scriptures in our churches is because when we teach them properly, Christ will be in the middle of it. And we'll always find ourselves anchoring our text to him. We'll ultimately be drawn to him. We'll learn more about him and his character and nature, even when we study the Old Testament. Uh, That's what he's speaking about here. The New Testament hasn't been written yet. No part of the New Testament has been written yet when Jesus says these words. So he's speaking of the Old Testament. They speak of him. And so when we study the Old and New Testaments, we find Jesus at the heart of it. And that's why it's so important for us to teach it, so that we see Jesus at the heart of it. 
And so I'm going to stop there because, again, you could go on forever on this topic. And we will come back to it at some point or another, probably many points along the way until the Lord comes for us. But um, but let that ruminate in your minds for, for a little bit. If you're not comfortable, uh, if, or if it's not a habit of yours to be in the Word, let me encourage you to make it a habit. Uh, how do I do that? Well, we're, you know, we just looked into John today. Start there. You know, that's a very popular place to begin studying the Word of God. Uh, and you come face to face with Jesus as God, and you learn of him through the, through the gospel there. And then continue through the New Testament. Come back and read the gospels. Go back and, 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 uh, and maybe pick up a read through the Bible in a year program. Chances are, uh, many Bible, if you've got a new Bible, many of them have a read through the Bible in a year program in the back. And they'll kind of uh, create a, a path by which you can study the whole scripture. You can read the whole scripture in a year. Um, but there are many ways to, to, to dive into that. But you know what? There's, as the old adage goes, there's nothing to it but to do it. So you just have to start. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, right? So we start and then we continue. And, um, and of course, if you have questions about that or want any more thoughts on that, I'm glad to share that if you want to reach out through the comments, as we always suggest. Um, but that said, let me pray and encourage you. Uh, you can comment and, and reach out that way. You can email uh, email me through our website at calvarychapelfranklin.com or on my personal website, parsonspad.com. And in either one of those, you can email me and I'd be glad to interact with you. And certainly, I'd love to, to, to encourage you and help you um, uh, begin to study the scriptures on your own as well and offer some more insights on you know approaches to doing that. So that said, I'm really glad you joined today and I hope that this was an instructive and helpful uh, passage to look at and a teaching to spend some time on. So let me go ahead and pray. And then um, we'll meet next time. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the grace that you've demonstrated to us, both in saving us and in also setting us apart. And we thank you that uh, ultimately we're set apart by your truth. Uh, it's the truth that is the most beautiful thing. And so we just pray that, Father, as we spend time in your word, which is truth, it is your truth, that, Father, we would study it and we would see you at the heart of it. That, Father, our study of the Word of God, our, our coming to know the Word of God, would help us to know the God of the Word. And, Father, help us to be satisfied with nothing less than that, knowing you. And, Father, we just pray that you'd help us if it's a difficult thing for us to get into the Word, if we struggle being consistent or whatever it might be that maybe has hindered us from, from diving in and really pouring ourselves into this endeavor. I just pray that you would kind of remove those blocks, that, Lord, you would bring extra encouragement uh, and provide extra grace upon those uh, who are wanting to desperately do that but struggle. And uh, Father, I pray that, uh, Father, each one of us would find ourselves, uh, and, or if we're not in one, we'd find one, a good, solid Bible-teaching church where they hold the Word of God in high regard and teach out of it distinctly, clearly, giving the sense of it as we read today. Uh, Father, that we would understand it and we would grow thereby. And Father, again, lead us to Jesus as we do. Help us to know him and to know him well. And that, Father, it would just be the pursuit of our lifetimes to dive in so that we would. We thank you and we praise you. And we bless your great and awesome name. And we thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.